Welcome to the Radical Christian Life with Doug and Paula. We're so excited as we discuss what it looks like to live the radical Christian life, following Jesus no matter the call, no matter the cost. Yeah, so let's get to it. Well, we are into 2024 and glad that you're joining us again. Last year, last year, (laughs) meaning like two weeks ago, uh, we did some stories about the field, about the mission field. And today we want to do an encore because we received so much feedback of what an encouragement those stories were to you. They're an encouragement to our heart as well. So today we're going to go back into some stories before we start our next year of uh, whatever we're going to end up doing. I got a good story before we even get into that, though. I... I (laughs) You always have good stories. I didn't share this. It happened a while ago, but I thought that would be fun for the new year. Uh, one of my New Year's resolutions, I said, was to be more funny. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> see this. We were out with a couple, um, and we went to Chili's. If you know what Chili's is, it's a, just a, I don't know, what do you call it? Restaurant, lots yeah. of screens for, it's a chain restaurant here in America, at least in part, part, part I don't know if they're around the whole nation, but anyways. And they have uh, like a little sports bar, they have sports bar, lots family of family uh, restaurant, yeah, yeah lots of, that, but yeah. lots of screens. A lot of people come in and watch football games and stuff, at you know, drink a beer and watch it. And then there's dinner, you know, your hamburgers and that kind of things. Well, we were with this couple, and we hadn't known, we hadn't seen them for a long, long time, and they knew us yeah, when we were like literally fighting some um, liberal battles in a, in a seminary. So they knew us, you know, as conservative, trying to, you know, stand up for righteousness and the inerrancy of the scriptures and stuff. So they knew us in that context, and they really liked us and appreciated what we did. They happened to be here in the States, so we yeah. got re-acqu- yeah. reacquainted. So they, they asked, they said, do you mind if we have a glass of wine? You know, you're being Baptist and all. Well, first, I don't know if that was an insult or a compliment when they called us Baptists. So I, I'm still not sure. So you Baptists can write us and tell us how, how we should interpret that. And uh, We'll take it as a compliment. Yeah, and, and, but I laughed because I was like, what made you think we were Baptists? Yeah. yeah. Just cause, because here's what's interesting. A lot of people automatically put conservative theology in with cer- like... Certain denominations. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. They, no, I was saying they put... Uh, if you're conservative theologically, that just means you're oh, in oh. the way you live. What am I trying to say? You're just... Um, culturally? Culturally conservative. Yeah. yeah, that's a great way of saying, you know, like you don't drink, you don't watch any PG movies, you know, you don't watch TV and all that stuff. And we're actually, we try to rack, ride the radical middle. We're conservative theologically, but um, not that we're liberal. That's not <laughs> at all. But we believe in freedom and some of the gray areas and how people live. So like we, we're we very strong in what we believe when it comes to alcohol. But if somebody wants to have a glass of wine with dinner, you know, we're not here sitting here throwing stones. But, but my joke was, nah, I wasn't offended that they were drinking a glass of wine. I was offended they were drinking wine at Chili's. That's what... <laughs> I was offended at. How's your Merlot with those French fries? Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah did they pick the right box of wine and they pour <laughs> yeah. it out? But even the glass they brought I in, laugh. it just made you laugh. Actually, I, when they asked us if, if we'd be fun, I said, they serve wine here? Yeah, like, I, I was know. so shocked. Next time, let's go to Olive Garden or something. At least <laughs> I wouldn't have been more um, shocked. I guess. <laughs> Anyways, I just thought that was a funny story. Yeah, and uh, yeah. You can wrestle with it. And uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know which was more offensive, drinking wine or being called a Baptist. All those questions, all those gray areas we live in, right? So anyway, yes. but that's 2024. We've done a podcast on that topic before, so we're not getting back into that one yeah, again. So but hey, But yes. let's get a little more serious. Uh, we... we we have so many stories we could share. Yes. Um, in fact, right before we even um, 
started recording. We just took some time praying for these people and just thinking through, you know, these aren't just stories. These are lives. These are lives of people who've um, affected us. Mm-hmm. Um, encouraged us encouraged by their us. faith. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we like to just start staring some stories. Who's going first? You go first. You want me to go first? Yep. I like to tell the story. Uh, one of the great privileges I've had in my life is I got to live in a village in a Middle Eastern country um, with a Muslim family. Mm. And one, actually, the son was a secret believer. And we got to go and just try to be a testimony. And they want to introduce me because an older, dignified man who's a scholar who believes in Jesus and stuff was um, something he just, I, I was there to just kind of be a witness. Mm-hmm. Um, not hardcore evangelism. We were in a context, not for that. We actually slept at night in the mosques, uh, in the mosque and mosques. I said that plural in the mosque. <laughs> um, and it was just, a, what was really interesting about it was it was during the Eid al-Adha and where that is the feast of sacrifice. That's where they commemorate, uh, Abraham offering Ishmael as a sacrifice. Now, did you Qur- catch that? Yeah, did you catch that? Now, the Quran does not actually say Ishmael. It just says the son. And so, but they interpreted it as By Ishmael, tradition. not Isaac. Yes. Yeah, that. But what was interesting, and this really helped me understand a little bit more of the Passover lamb and what was going on, because in the Passover lamb, you chose your lamb on um, Nisan to 10th of Nisan, the 10th day of the month, and then on the 14th day of the month is when you sacrificed it. Well, the same thing. They had a goat because that's when you sacrifice a goat during that time. You go to the market. You pick it out. It's been halal. It's been um, got gotten approval. The imam. Right? Imam, yeah. And yep. they go through. Yeah. And then they, and when I say this, it, it was so bizarre for us in a Western mind. It's, they have a courtyard. So you walk into this house and there's a courtyard where they bring the animals in at night. This is where some people say we're actually bait. When Jesus, there was no room in the end, so he went into the manger scene with the animals. That would have been this place. Mm. That's what some people say. Mm. And so I'd walk in, and then they had the inner house where the bedrooms were. And then, you know, you spent most of your time I mean, this outside. this place didn't have running water, did it? No, no. Though they brought buckets of water. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you know you are a missionary when you are <laughs> taking a sponge bath in a room with just a big, um, like a big bucket that I'm squatting like in, pouring water over me, and <laughs> and there's there's holes in the walls and because it's not it's not wood, it's like slats just put on top of each other. So you know, little kids are looking in. It's just it's bizarre. <laughs> there were pigeons flying around me during this time. So the contextualization is um, yeah. So I Never just dull. I just went with yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, um, but okay, all that to say. Every day I'd come into the courtyard and stuff. There's this goat tied up, you know, and just every day we're seeing this cute little goat, you know, and just, yeah, bah, you know, and that kind of thing. And then, and then one day it's sacrificed. And just watching that happen, and it's just, it's something. And what I'm thinking of is we've lost this in the Christian world. We don't understand sacrifice. When we talk about Jesus being the Lamb of God, all we see is cute little lambs running around in you know fields, and that's not. We never see them being sacrificed. Our meat comes in sty, you know styrofoam and cellophane wrapped. We don't see that you know the it sacrifice, the cost. Yeah, yeah. The, and literally to okay, I don't want to be graphic, and the kids are listening to this and stuff, but to actually see the way um, its throat 
you know, they, they take the way they take it out. How do I say that? So <laughs> kids aren't like ah, crying in the background, but it, but it, but it's real. Mm. And kids need to probably they get to a certain age and realize that's life and death is real. Yeah. And, and that, and it was such a great segue. We could talk about what this means for Christianity and hearing the, the truth of what we believe. And, and always, if you're ever in with Muslims, you don't be anti-Islam, you be pro-Jesus. Mm. Okay. That's one good way to keep your head. And two, <laughs> it's just the best way of evangelizing. Uh, I mean, I'm way more pro-Jesus than I am anti-Muhammad. And that type of thing. So yeah. that was just a great privilege. And, you know, we I didn't lead the Father to the Lord, but it was a, I, I did what I was accomplished. I opened the doors. Yeah. And um, I, yeah. I call that ministry of presence. Yeah. And a, what I ooh, mean by line. that is that you cared enough to go. The outcome, we don't know the seeds that were planted. We trust there were seeds that were planted during that. But, you know, oftentimes we just have to sit back and think, okay, I came. And I remember after you came back to the city from that, that, um, travel, um, the person who you went with, the secret believing son said, um, you cared enough to come. Yeah. You had, were the only one who ever went yeah. in that situation. And so, you know, yeah, it sometimes, was totally uncomfortable. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh, I re- man, yeah. you know, just try to train ride down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, I yeah. can tell stories of that. Yes, they're, they're, every yes. good missionary is a bathroom story. And oh, I have a bunch of them. We have lots yeah, of Yeah. Don't them. get sick on a third class train in, in the <laughs> Middle East. So let me just tell you that right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. Uh, no. But that that's what, that's what missionaries should do. Seriously. I mean, you, you yeah. sacrifice to, to go and help and encourage and empower mm-hmm. the ones who who are in very difficult situations. You know, he wants his dad to know he's a believer, but he can't just come out and say it easily without realizing what could potentially happen. Ah, we can all judge everyone. Yeah. I pray. You better pray for the secret believers around the world. Not my encouragement always exist. to him was, Oh, they exist all over the world in persecuted places. And we're not going to tell you about them because then they wouldn't be secret. That's right. But just remember Nicodemus was a secret believer. And so was Joseph of Arimathea. Mm. So, um, don't judge, encourage, and pray for those because one day here in America, we may mm. we may have to be underground and as a church yes. the way things are going. So anyways, that's one of the things I got to experience and just wanted to share with you. Yeah. Well, I have a story from Papua New Guinea, one of our favorite places that we share stories from. I think some of that reason is just it's so tribal, so different from us. But one of the things that we love there is working with the workers, the missionaries who are there, but also the Papua New Guineans. Like our, our focus, and, and we love that, is to always connect with nationals. But this is one of our very, very favorite stories about ongoing discipleship connections. And I think one of the best stories illustrating this is what took place when we visited our missionary and translator friend at his little hut of an office where he was translating the Bible into a language that had never seen the Bible. Can I jump in here for a second just to give context for people? Uh, the, so these translators, they go and live in the jungles for long periods of time mm. and work on listening, you know, getting the words and all that. But then they'll come back to the center yeah. And then they have these little huts where they actually sit. That's where their computer is and they can work and do, do that. Yeah, so that's yeah, the context. It's like a little teeny office yeah. thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So he he was there. But two years earlier, this missionary was really struggling with the progression of the work. We had been there two years earlier and we were back. Um, if you think that translating the Bible is an easy thing, if you want to say, use the term long obedience in the same direction, that is it. 
these people are focused and it, it's a hard walk. But he had attended our seminar that we did on discipleship. We taught while we were there. You know, that's our thing, right? So we had taught discipleship to the missionaries. I, I think there were like 100 in that room at that time. And then this man caught the fire of making disciples who make disciples. That was a new concept for them in many ways for the missionaries there. Um, they're really focused on Bible translation work. And, and so we were trying to help them understand that, you know, you disciple people during that process. Um, but now what was so cool is visiting him in his little hut. He just doesn't work with his language helpers translating, but he disciples these nationals who are helping him translate in the word of God. And he wants to help apply, help them to apply themselves to the word that they are translating. And so it was just such a cool thing for us when he showed us the papers on his desk that he keeps on Doug's teaching on discipleship. And he pointed, he was so excited um, to the handwritten note that Doug had given him that was taped to his desk in order to keep him focused, which said, keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. And he meant discipleship. Yeah. So he was discipling these national workers. And that's what legacy is about. Like, that is so cool. Because he got it because there is the thing where some people will spend their lives translating the Bible, which is great but they never make disciples. So nobody wants to read the book after they get it translated. Yeah. Yeah. And so Those go hand doing it hand. both. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Giving the word of God to somebody who has the heart to receive it. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a great story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when we don't ever talk about this on air, but I'm going to say we, so we run a ministry, right? Called serving beyond borders, nonprofit. <laughs> and uh, we, well, we have talked about it before, but we receive donations. We live that ministry is all based by faith. You never hear us. We don't promote. We don't do fundraisers. We don't do any of that thing. Just God gives. But here's the kind of people we encourage with our money. You can look at our 990s if you want to see if I'm trying to live rich and we're stealing your money to go and do our <laughs> own thing. Or or we're helping a person who... Um, so I got to meet this Sudanese brother. And he actually, he was in my course. He was in my discipleship. And uh, so, yeah, I was I was, I was a professor and also I was his disciple. He was at my, for those who know me, he was at my uh, house at breakfast and uh, mm. being disciple. And he was telling our, his story. So he went back. So this is after we had parted ways and he mm -hmm. went back to. Yeah, he had graduated and yeah. we came back to yeah. the States. And he went back to Sudan. We'll actually say the country. He went back to Sudan and in the area where he was at, the Muslim fundamentalists came. And the government was actually part of this, so it was both and. They came to his house, ransacked everything, took everything he had of value. They said, just took it. It's ours. And they, they confiscated everything, and they gave him his passport. was about all he was, was allowed to take. They threatened him. They um, yeah, interrogated him, trying to get him to, one, renounce his faith in Christianity, mm. and two, to give up all Muslims who he might have known who might have converted to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so he... It, he it's didn't. A, no, he didn't. He, he didn't. didn't. Yeah. And I can't remember the details, so that's where I don't want to exaggerate, but it was a pretty miraculous story how he got away, how he escaped. Yeah. Yes. And like I said, the one thing he had was his passport. He was able to fly, flee and he got to another Arab nation and he's a living, neighboring country, neighboring country right? and yeah. living as a refuge, refuge, refugee, refugee, refugee. Yeah, yeah. refugee. And it's not easy. I mean, it's 
we, we sometimes get callous sometimes, especially with what's going on here with our border crisis in America. We can These get... These refugee camps are not good no, places. No, no. But then he eventually made his way to a city and is trying to build his new life. And we've helped him in the past. Those are the brothers I want to help. That's what I love. Big organizations give to big organizations. I mean, I you know I love the ones who are trying to get millions of dollars. We're the mom and pop shop trying to help the ones no one's gonna no one's gonna find about and hear about and stuff. So his is a good story because even in the country he's at now, he's trying working in ministry and doing disciple making yeah. where he's at while he's just trying to survive at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the type of people that serving beyond borders partners with. Yeah. And we love that. So you can pray for that young man today. Yeah. Um, I have another story from North Africa. This is the majority of places that we served in were in North Africa. It's different now we're kind of worldwide, but in the early, um, early part of our ministry life, we befriended a couple with young children who had fled their country because of religious persecution. And this was severe religious persecution. We're just not talking about like they weren't happy. Yeah, Muslim, Muslim background believers. Yes, they had come to faith and they fled for their lives. Well, in their new land at that time, they were unable, which was where we met them at, you were unable to change your religion from Muslim to Christian. So on your ID card, whatever it said, that's what you were. You were the religion of your father. Yes. Whatever you were born, your father, was. that's the religion you were stamped on your identification card and that's who you were. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they soon discovered that as they were legally Muslim, their church would have to attend Islamic religious classes. I'm sorry. What did I say? Their children. Their Their children. (laughs) Thank you. Their children would have to attend Islamic religious classes at the school. This was a huge issue for them because they were no longer Muslims, but they were Christians but as secret believers at the time, there was a great fear that their children would give them away. If they found, yeah. So what happens when this, can I just yeah, give a little yeah. context? So what happens with the government, if they find out you have become a Christian and you're, you know, but you're, you're a Muslim because in their mind, you're not a Christian. You're still a Muslim. Right. You're just uh, either. So you're, you're an apostate. Yeah. They find it. They're, they're going to come take your kids. Yeah. Your kids are gone and yes. they will, yeah, give, they'll be raised Muslim by somebody else. So yeah. That's the fear they lived under. Yeah. And so just shoring those people up and we we prayed for them, we helped them. And for years and years after we had kind of lost connection with them because they were really underground. We and we continually asked God for his protection over this family as they worked out their newfound faith in that really difficult context, prayed safety over their children. And it was such an awesome thing. We got to get together with them just a couple of years ago when we went back to the country. I think it was actually 18 years later after the fact. And to sit with them and their now grown children and see all of them thriving in strong faith in Jesus, it really bought, brought the verse... Um, Verse three of John four to mind. I have no greater joy than here. My children are walking in the truth. Yeah, like to sit on the floor with them and drink tea and hear their stories and watch how God had protected and watched over this family. I mean, just incredible. Yeah. Can I? Can I? Let's tell the the other side of that story. Mm. That <laughs> I should have probably saved that one for best because it's so inspiring. I mean, mm. yeah. We want you to hear because we. We were honored by them. I mean, they even to this day, they would honor us big time. <laughs> they did. They threw out they, whatever they could afford. They, brought, they made, made a great dinner for when we visited them. Yeah. And they, you know, told their kids about us. And um, 
and so I'm saying this humbly, but I'm just letting you know, one, if you're in an honor culture, and in the Middle East and Arabs, they're very honor culture, and we are mm. very honored by them. And why? Well, here, here's the story. Mm. So they came from another country, right? And they were we met them in, in, in the North Africa. Country. We met them in North yeah. Africa. They were, yeah, war-torn country. And the, the, the wife's father was dying. And they didn't have any money to get back home or anything. We have money. We have money. Now, we were just new missionaries on the field, wide-eyed. We didn't know all the culture. It was our first year. And if you know anything about us, we hate politics in the church. We just don't do well with politics in the church. And we don't do well with politics overseas. Now, we're not saying (laughs) that braggingly or as missionaries, but we're not saying that. But that's just how we are. We saw a need. There was a need. We have money. Who wouldn't want to see a woman be able to see her father before he died, right? And have um, him meet her children. We gave them money so that they, this is what missions is about. We're going to sponsor them and help. Now, we're not giving them the money to go buy, you know, try and live some rich life. We just fly over there, see your parents, come back. Well, you shouldn't have done that. They couldn't afford it. Now you're making them depend on Western money and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? People gave me money so I could fly over here. Why can't I give them money to go fly back and see? That's my, that's my philosophy. Mm. Oh, oh. Oh, Hades broke loose in the mission community. <laughs> we were trying to steal other Muslim converts, you know, t- to our ministry, to our, and, you know, I didn't realize they're like fights among men, you know, it's like, this is their prize convert that they get to write letters home about. So don't you dare do anything to help them. Cause you might write a letter home about, and these are my mission. I mean, it became a scandal. It's like, we're literally like, what is going on here? I had to get a talking to, I had to get a talking to and I still laugh about that. I was like, well, you know what? I will not, I'll stand before Jesus and said, yeah, I use my money to bless another. And uh, I know when helping hurts, I've read those books when helping hurts. And what's the other Sometimes you make a yeah. judgment call yeah, for yeah. good. Yeah. It's yeah. about individuals, not setting yes. up things. Systems. It really so, is. Anyways, yeah. well, I love 18 years later, that family and watching those kids call upon the name of Jesus. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Money, <laughs> money well spent. Yeah. So just yeah. do what the Holy Spirit tells you and get let politics. Yeah. Let people can just fight about politics. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Um, can I tell the story about you teaching in the jungle? You want to tell it? Yeah, I do. Okay. So this is another story about Papua New Guinea. And Doug had had been planning on taking this trip and he was going to fly in to the center there. And then he was going to fly out of there to teach at the border of Indonesia. Am I correct? So very remote. When we go there, it's remote, but this was even more remote, like little huts and you're going to give some color commentary. I know. So I'm just trying to hit the big things here. So, but the interesting thing about this was Doug had had surgery about three weeks before that trip. And it wasn't, it wasn't, um, extensive. No, no, it was. I, so I, uh, so if you didn't know, I'm an open book. I don't care if people are like, that's weird. I I had a prostate biopsy, had prostate issues and it went sepsis and I almost died. And literally, so I had to have a, um, pick line in my arm and flush it out with antibiotics for weeks. And, uh, yeah, and I didn't die and I didn't sue the doctor. So I felt like I was a very good Christian and God protected me. So, and I protected that guy yeah. for his reputation. But, but anyway, he was still in the healing process. But this, <laughs> this, um, this trip was on the books and it was really, it, it had to happen because it was going into rainy season. And if you didn't do it, then it would be the next year. And Doug had made a commitment and we had a disagreement about it (laughs) because I didn't want him to die. (laughs) And um, 
Uh, I was going to say yes. You the other part? No. There was bladder no. control issues, too. Well, there, there were many issues. You should be going about now. This. I wasn't oh, yeah, happy. I'll be fine. It's the jungle. There's bathroom <laughs> but Doug everywhere. And I, Doug and I do work uh, in this <laughs> that it is not 50-50, it's 100-100. I'm not sure that I was at 100, but I, I did give my blessing for him to go, although I was not happy about it. I was not. Mm-hmm. So anyway... Um, but the cool thing about this is he was ended up teaching in the middle of this jungle. Literally, he has the most incredible videos and pictures from this time. They're very isolated people. But literally, people walked for days. The Papua New Guineans and others walked for days. And Indonesians some, came over Yes, from the I was border just going to say, some of them came just to be trained in the word of God. I mean, Doug Two has, to three days, literally, walking yes. two to three days. You're talking in the jungle with yeah. their feet. Yeah. Like, yeah. This, this is... This is mission stuff. And so Doug has his doctorate and he's well-versed in the Bible, which we love. And so he taught on sharing the gospel and sharing their faith. Um, And they were sitting, and we have these great pictures. They were sitting on mats on the ground. And the reason they were sitting on mats is because they have these massive centipedes (laughs) in the jungle. And, you know, the, the mats are supposed to protect you from the cracks in the well, floor, so that you wouldn't get stung by a No, there was piece. actually, right? you got that a little wrong. There is no floor. You're, the mats are sitting on the ground just trying to protect it a little oh, bit. Oh, I thought a barrier. they had some slats there. No, there were no slats. The, the, the mats had slats. And the, so the centipede, so they aren't like woven mats. They're, they're slatted mats that they would put around the whole To try ground, to protect Trying it. to protect. They say, yeah, I never actually got to see one, which I'm very thankful because it's supposed to be super painful to oh, get bit gosh. by a centipede. But they I've had some them in plant. Africa, in the, they, and they're, they're you know, yeah, half a foot yeah, long. Yeah. Oh, so if you gosh. see one, run if you're in the jungle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm going to let him tell you about what happened after the end of the training. What? Okay. This is not made up. This is going to sound like an exaggerated <laughs> mission story to try and get money and manipulate and all that. This is just the facts, right? I am standing, and they do the they did a ceremony at the end, or where to honor me and to give you know some presents and thank me for coming, and because you know we don't charge anything, so this was their way of saying thank you because they know it was a sacrifice to get there, and people paid money and all that to get us there, and they wanted to say thank you. As they stood up, this man. Because if you've ever heard me go on Serving Beyond Border, our, our webpage, our YouTube page, all of that, you're going to see our little booklet, the, the Bible Blueprint, which is soon to come out and be reissued as the Gospel Creed. We always talk about the Gospel mm-hmm. and how to share the Gospel, mm-hmm. making sure people understand what the Gospel is. And that was one of the main teachings I did, that in the book of Leviticus and apologetics. That was <laughs> so full eight-hour days, they would just sit on the ground listening and soaking it up. Unbelievable, unbelievable hunger they were. But this older man got up and was thanking me, and he turned and he said these words. He literally, this is no exaggeration on my part. He literally said the words, thank you for coming and teaching us the gospel. Now we can go to the outreach parts. He said like the outreach parts of the utter, he didn't use the word uttermost, but like that. He looked uh, to the outer parts of the earth. And I just sat there and went, I'm literally looking around. I just stopped for a second. It was so surreal. And I go, what can be more outer parts of the earth than where we're sitting in right now? <laughs> but they were talking about going to the unreached people and still in Papua New Guinea, still in Indonesia, crossing the borders, going in there and taking the gospel. And that was one of those moments. It was like, okay, Lord, if the rapture comes, I'm ready. 
I'm ready. I because to see people sacrificing like that, getting excited to go and take the gospel to the places that haven't been reached yet, that we won't reach, but they will. Yeah, and yeah, that's pretty exciting. And yes, I was massively convicted <laughs> about trying to get Doug not to go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so you know, there's sometimes we just have to open our hands and trust God with the outcome, yeah. and this was one of those. Okay, I'll, you want to tell another one because I got a part two of that. No, one. that's go a little ahead. more. No, this one's a little more fun. So oh. do you want to be? Well, okay, I'll go. Yeah, ahead. just go. So they put me in this abandoned house. Oh. There was this abandoned house. All the houses are sitting above the floor. And this was actually- so house is a very loose term here. Yeah. Yeah. So- Like a hut. Yes. So again, so there was a little community of Christians there because a missionary had come there a few years before and they built this house, this missions house, missionaries did. And then they left. They left. And so for the last five years, this was kind of abandoned, but they still used it if like guests come- there was nothing really in it, right? I mean, there's no electricity there or anything. Yeah. They did have solar-powered battery chargers for phones. <laughs> so that even in the jungles, they have cell phones now. It, yeah. It's so surreal. Gospel's getting everywhere through cell phones is one of the great ways. But, but anyways, I'm in this house. At night, I'm hearing this sound, and it smells like ammonia when I walk in. I'm like, what is what? And I didn't realize what it was. I should have put two and two together, but it smelled like ammonia really heavy in this house. I was like, and then at night, the wall started shaking. The wall started shaking. Well, I noticed when I was walking in, when I was walking up to the house for the first time, the slats were down in the front, these slats, wooden slats, hard to explain. But there was a whole bat colony living in there. If you know anything about bat dung and stuff like that, it smells like ammonia. So look, so there's my first thing. I didn't die because of ammonia, <laughs> yeah. you know, ammonia poisoning, right? But so. Guano, the, isn't that what they call that? Is it? I oh, think it is. Oh, that's pretty impressive. I, How I, do you know that? You I, are a wealth of information. I, I'm a wealth of useless information. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this mat, so all they did was put a mat on the floor, strung a line across the top, and put a, a mosquito net. Because everybody has to have mosquito nets, right? Now, because even the Papua New Guineans are starting to eat bad diet of Western food being brought in, mm. and like rice and all these things. And not, I don't know why I said rice. <laughs> <laughs> rice is not bad. But anyways, sweeten up their blood. Now, mosquitoes. So I'm under a mosquito net. First night, I hear this right by my head. I turn on my flashlight right on the other side of my head is a rat. I don't know who screamed louder, the rat or me, but we both went scurrying in opposite directions. And I'm like, okay, I got bats in the wall. I got mosquitoes. I mean, no, rats around, running around the floor. Okay, I can handle this. Okay, I can handle this. I'm a missionary. I'm a missionary, right? Here in the middle of the night, I felt my room start to shake. And it started shaking more and more and more. And I realized we're having an earthquake. And, and literally, the, my building, which is an old abandoning rickety building, is just swaying. And this wasn't like a second. I've been in a few earthquakes before mm-hmm. in the Middle East and other places. This was a long earthquake. In fact, I found out it was like a minute to half to two minutes. That's I, a long time. I'm literally, so I'm, I, it's 100 degrees. Like I think it was 90 degrees around that, around that night, 90 degrees. I'm just laying in my skivvies, just sweating under this mosquito net. And I'm, I have to make a split decision. Do I get out and go run and stand in the jungle, get bit by every mosquito, probably dungy <laughs> fever and malaria and everything's waiting for me out there or getting bit by a snake or something? Or do I stand under this, stay under this mosquito net? The building collapses and the rat comes and eats my ear off. You know <laughs> I mean? Like literally I'm thinking these things while my room's shaking and I'm like, God help me, Lord, what do I do? I took my chance. I stayed in the under the mosquito net 
and the earthquake stopped. It was the and first. And the building stayed? The building stayed, and we survived. It was funny. The next day when we gathered, all of them were asking, where did you go? Because they all ran outside, you know, stood around. Because they're they, smart. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they, they understand. Thought, <laughs> they thought I took off and ran into the jungle to hide, to be safe. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just, that's just those times you just don't go into detail about what you did. I, know, I didn't want to lose my credibility. But here's what was interesting. The, I, I don't know how many years, none of them in their generation have ever experienced an uh, earthquake in Papua New Guinea. It was like the first one since the 60s or 70s. I mean, they'd never experienced all they wanted to talk about. I had to literally suspend my uh, session and spend the next two hours talking about the end times oh, because they've read yeah. about wars and earthquakes and, and uh, there'll be earthquakes in those times in the last days. And they thought this must be the, it's Jesus is coming back because we just experienced an earthquake and they never experienced one. We never heard oh, of them being in that area before. I so, forgot about that. Yeah. And then I got to fly over a jungle and I looked and saw the devastation of my whole mountainside just uh, falling in landslides and all that. Yeah, it was it was actually a really big yeah, earthquake. It, it was, was a big a, one. I think 7.6 somewhere in there. So anyway, yeah. yeah, so that was an interesting missionist story. So, yeah, it was. Yeah. So I released you and God brought Thank you back. You. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you finish us up with a good story? All right. Well, I have a, another good story from the Middle East. Um, a few years ago, I was back in the Middle East after we had moved away and I was speaking to a group of about 50 Iraqi refugee women and both these were both christian and muslim together it was a women's ministry it was a, actually an iraqi refugee school and so i had the honor of of speaking to the women and you know there's certain things um with women that are across the board they care about their families they care about safety they care about feeding their families like there's the a commonality and so just being able to speak with them and again these are refugees but there were these two Muslim women who were in attendance who I had spoke with, um, and they really, really stuck out in my mind. When somebody makes an impression on your mind, and then, you know, it just, they, they touch your heart somewhere. It was an older woman, who named, her name was Azat, who used to have a really high position in Iraqi's former regime. And then there was another woman, Dina, whose husband was actually killed in the Iraqi war. And both were seeming at that moment to be seekers of God. And one, one responded to me, I want to know this Jesus whose people treat each other with dignity. I had been praying for these women, and I had rejoiced then two weeks later before I left the country when I learned that Dina had accepted Christ. I never actually heard what happened to Azat, but trusting that the same Savior who rescued Dina is now Azat's Savior as well. And this is why we at Serving Beyond Borders always partner, attempt to partner with some type of local church when we work overseas, because there was somebody to turn them over to, because that's what we were doing. We were partnering with a local church. We talk about that all the time, but we believe it. It's why we serve at our local church, wherever we've been, whatever country, because we all need community and new believers need it most of all. And so I just think about those women that just even about the the idea of what they knew about Jesus. They didn't know a lot about Jesus, but they knew that his people treat each other with dignity. Yeah. I just love that. That's a good story. And just for those who who do know us or know our journey, those were not the actual names. No, and they weren't. That, yeah, we always try to protect people. Yeah. Well, those are just some stories we have. We have more, but I think the time is up. But uh, it's just, uh, we hope this was an encouraging um, time for you to just hear that God is at work. He's still at work. He's yes. been at work. He's Jesus's words in Matthew 24, 14 
are going to prove true. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all mm-hmm. the nations, and then the end will come. We're almost there, folks. This is an exciting time to be alive. Yeah, maybe 2024. Thanks for listening to The Radical Christian Life with Doug and Paula. I think it's at this time we're supposed to do some pitch like hit the subscribe button or donate. But we just want to say, do what you want. We trust way more in the sovereignty of God than in the Christian industrial marketing complex. You just keep living radical for Jesus, and so will we. And let's watch how he blesses us all. We'll see you next time.